0: Good morning, morning. Again. How are we? We're good. We're good. Awesome. Um, As a church, we um, are working through a series on prayer. Um, So come January, um, we are doing a month of prayer um, as a church. We feel like God's led us um, into a bit of a new season, looking to Um, plant churches by postcode across North London and so this month in January is really wanting to invest in prayer um, make that a priority Um, and and, uh, you should um, have received one of these which is our plan A prayer month. Um, God doesn't have a plan B um, so this is our plan A. Um, You can pick up one of these they're basically just flyers that just tell you everything that's happening everything that's going on throughout that month. It really will be, I believe, a significant... Um, time for us where we actually really invest in prayer um, and we look for God's leading, look for his direction um, and are expectant and faithful that he will um, answer and lead and guide us. So please do grab one of these. These are at the Like to Know More table um, if you want to get a hold of them. Um, If you haven't got one or you've lost yours, um, then please do make your way to Nick and Ari. They'll be able to help you and talk you through all of that, um, which is great. Um, And so, This morning, uh, I'm going to be talking from Philippians 4. Um, So if you've got a Bible, we'll turn there. Um, But just before we get into it, let me pray, Um, especially if we're talking about prayer, right? It would make sense. So I'm going to pray. Lord, we just thank you that you are here by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you that you um, lead us and you guide us and you speak. You aren't um, aloof or distant, um, but Lord, you're right here in the midst of us. Lord, thank you. Lord, that you have promised to send your Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us, to live inside of us. And Lord, we pray that this morning that you would um, speak into the depths of who we are. Lord, speak into who you've made us, who you are creating us um, to be. And that, Jesus, you would transform us um, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, that we would be taken from one degree of glory to another. Lord, that we would truly understand what prayer is, what, what that cry of the heart, what that community with God looks like. Lord, we just pray would you be revealing truth this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want to start by telling a story. Um, So there was a famous 19th century missionary, a guy called George Muller, um, who was a missionary to Bristol. He moved to Bristol um, and he set up orphanages. He set up about, uh, well, they reckon during his lifetime he cared for just over a thousand orphans in the Bristol area, um, which is quite phenomenal when you think about it. Um, And he was a great man of prayer. Um, And in his diaries and things, he records that he would pray consistently for five friends his entire life. He prayed for five um, non-Christian friends, those that didn't know Jesus. He prayed for five friends for his entire life. Um, And whilst he was still alive, three of those guys became Christians. Three of them um, committed their life and gave their life um, to Jesus, um, which is fantastic. But the interesting thing about George Muller is he didn't stop. He didn't stop praying for those other two friends. In fact, his diaries record he didn't stop praying for the ones that did become Christians. um, But he didn't stop praying for those two that didn't become Christians. And I wonder what I would be tempted to do in that situation. I'd probably think, look, I've got three out of five. That's not bad. Um, Maybe I'll just, you know, pretty good odds. I'll just call it quits there. Or or perhaps I'd kind of think, you know what, perhaps this isn't, perhaps I'm not meant to be praying for them or or try and explain it away in some way. Um, But he didn't. And the interesting thing about George Muller is when he died, the fourth friend became a Christian at his funeral. And then a few months later... This fifth, this fifth friend of his became a Christian a few months later, and so you can see the entire pattern of his life, just investing, just investing in prayer the whole time, um, led to fruit. And where he might have been tempted to give up, where he might have been tempted to just, um, just kind of, uh, just walk away from it, really, he didn't. He committed to it. Um, And I often wonder why didn't he? Why didn't he? When you hear stories like that, why didn't he just give up? Why didn't he just walk away? And I think it's because when we look at scripture, there's overwhelming evidence for the fact that when we pray, things happen. That when we pray, when we seek God, when we pursue him in prayer, God's promise to us is that he will act. God's promise to us is that things will change, that circumstances will transform. It says in Matthew 21 that whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive it if you have faith. That's not taken out of context, that's what it says. If you pray in faith, you will receive it says, whatever you ask in my name, in John 14, this I will do. In Matthew 7, um, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? There's a real pattern in scripture that as we come, we can be expectant that God will act, that God will transform, that God will intervene. And we don't necessarily understand the how or when, um, but we can have confidence and faith that he will. And actually, you can look in Scripture and see there's many answers to prayer right the way through Scripture. And there's many answers to prayer in this room. And we could go around and we could spend probably the next hour or so, probably even more, just talking testimonies of what God's done, even in the 10 years of this church. Just testimony after testimony of what God's done. And even what he's continuing to do even now. And so our emphasis is then to push through. Our emphasis is then to persevere through in faith. Because you see, prayer is about coming to God, crying out to him for direction, seeking him for um, miracles, seeking for him for healings, for things, for things to change, for situations to transform. Um, and it, it's about coming to him and, if you like, petitioning him for answers, coming, making requests of him. Um, that came through in those few verses that I just shared briefly. Um, but actually, that's not all that prayer is. That's not quite the end of the story. Prayer is also about us giving glory to God. It's about us coming under and submitting ourselves to His will and saying, Do you know what? I, this is what I'm asking for, but Lord, ultimately, you know. You know the details. You know what. Nobody else sees. You know the ins and outs. And so I want to be submitted. I want to surrender to whatever your will is in this circumstance is. And I believe that's kind of what Mark George Muller's prayers probably, is that actually in praying for these friends, he understood that he was just submitting to God's will. That even praying for those last two that while he was still on earth, never got to see them become Christians, he was committed to saying, do you know what? But your will be done, Lord. I want to see them saved, but your will be done. Your will be done. And so, with that in our minds, let's turn to our passage today, which is going to be Philippians 4. So, if you've got a Bible, um, then please turn there. Um, we're going to turn to Philippians 4, um, and we're just going to read from verses 4 um, to 7. It says, Rejoice in the Lord. There we are, it's behind me as well. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so we see here quite a clear command. Do not be anxious, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. So the command not to be anxious, but to be... In everything, by prayer and supplication, make our requests known to God. Now we might ask, what did Paul have to be anxious about? Why would he be writing this to the church in Philippi at the time? What, what was going on that would cause him perhaps to be a little bit nervous? Paul, this great man of faith who wrote most of the New Testament. Um, well, actually, when Paul was writing this, he was in prison. Um, He was in prison, which isn't like we understand prison to be. Prison was a very harsh environment. um, So you would frequently be beaten. um, You would—it was just you were left basically to die, pretty much. Um, You were so Paul Paul is facing a very desperate situation. Um, bigger than that, though, there's also persecution that's basically broken out across the church, which has caused Christians to flee for their lives. Um, and wherever they've gone, just, they've just not been able to stay silent and just been sharing the gospel. And so we see the church has been spread and this persecution is increasing under what was a Roman Empire. This persecution of the church um, was only increasing. And actually, even on a local level, what he's writing to the Philippians here, the few verses before this, if we have a look at the verses in our Bible, just a few verses before, he's describing a disagreement between two women in the church. And he's essentially entreating and asking them to come to a peaceful agreement for the sake of the gospel. So there's lots of things that are going on. There's lots that Paul could have been nervous, could have been anxious about, could have been quite fearful of. Um, and yet his command is do not be anxious but by prayer and supplication. You see, prayer and supplication, that's the vehicle that we use to then come and bring our requests to God. To come, um, and if you like, the cry of our heart that Steph was talking about last week, prayer being that cry of our heart, that's, 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 if you like, the vehicle that we can use to bring our requests and make them known to God. And then it says this interesting thing. That as we do that, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, in this, so, so as we come and we bring those requests and we plead and we petition with God, what we start to see is God's peace begins to fill our hearts. God's peace begins to, to that peace that transcends understanding, that we, don't under, we can't put it together, we don't, can't make sense of it, but that peace just starts to fill our hearts, and there's a security that comes, and there's, there's, there's comfort that comes, even in the midst of some of those anxieties, some of those worries, some of those fears. You see, peace is if you like, the absence of trouble, the absence of of difficulty, of conflict. That's peace. But actually, peace is also security and comfort. Even in the midst of some of those things, we can find peace. It says that God is a safe tower, a refuge, a hiding place in him. And so even the act of prayer, if you like, is an act of faith. It's a conscious decision that I'm not going to be anxious about this, about this circumstance, about this situation. I'm going to bring it in prayer to the Lord. I'm going to turn it over to him and give it to him. And so I guess as we read this passage, the question that's kind of glaring at us is, well, what, what do we get anxious about? What, do we, what are we nervous of? Where would we be tempted to lose our peace? And it could be even just from the smallest things. You know, say somebody's five, ten minutes late. How does that make you feel? right? Right the way through to perhaps you've got a deadline, a big deadline that's coming up next week, or perhaps you've got an unbearable boss. Those fears, those anxieties that if we're not careful can grip us, that actually we're commanded, do not be anxious, do not worry about those things, but actually come to God in prayer. You see, very often in those circumstances, it can be easier to panic um, than it can to pray. Um, If you're anything like me, then as soon as things start to get a little bit tense or tricky. Um, I start trying to fix things, um, which is not a good habit. Um, I tend to just make things worse. Um, But there's just this panic that just starts to rise, and you just got to do something, make yourself busy, because it feels productive. It feels like you're sorting something out, when actually what we're called to do as Christians is to bring it back to God in prayer. That should be our first reaction that should be our instinctive reaction, that instead of starting to get fearful, to get worried, to bring it back to God in prayer, say, Lord, I need you to break it. I need you to intervene in this situation. I need you to help me. I need you to strengthen me. I need you to give me the words to say. Because if we're panicking and we start to freak out, that's all the enemy wants from us. He just wants to distract us. He just wants to take us out of that place where we're not bringing our cares, our worries, our things back to God, where we're not making requests of God, um, but actually we're just distracted. And so prayer as believers should be that knee-jerk reaction that whenever something happens, whenever we feel that prick in our heart, wherever we feel that unsettling, that anxiety start to rise, that worry, we just come back and just say, God, 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 you've got to break in. I need you to break in. I need you to come in. It says in 2 Corinthians um, 10, verse 4, um, it says that for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Prayer is a weapon. Prayer is a weapon for us to bring those requests to God. And so if we're not praying and we're not enacting that weapon, then what strongholds are being demolished? What areas are not being pushed through on? What situations are then not changing as a result? See, our response has to be prayer because we know that as we pray, those weapons of our warfare, they're not of the flesh. It's not wrestling against people. It's not trying to argue or butt heads with a boss or something like that. Actually, it's about giving it over to God and recognizing that in his plan, in his purpose, God will work. God will sovereignly act on our behalf. And in doing that, we see this demolition of strongholds. We see things that are being broken down. Strongholds are, if you like, they're, they're, they're like citadels. They're like things that can't be penetrated, things that can't be broken down. And what, what this verse in 2 Corinthians is saying is prayer is like the weapon that comes and just smashes that thing in pieces. And that's where we see breakthrough as we pray, as we invest in prayer, as we persevere um, in prayer. And so prayer for us as Christians is an offensive thing. We're on the attack. We're taking the fight to the enemy. We're not to be distracted. It's interesting that even in this verse, it doesn't say that they had their answer. It doesn't say that God will then answer, that God will break out. Um, that God will transform. It says elsewhere in Scripture, and that's why I went through those Scriptures to begin with. But in this verse, it doesn't say that. Paul says the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts. It will be given to individuals to guard your heart to guard your mind in Christ Jesus. And the interesting thing is that God's peace just begins to minister, just to bring, begins to bring comfort and security even in the midst of some of those um, nervousness, anxieties, worries, things like that. I'd love us to turn to, if you like, the perfect example of this in Jesus. In Luke 22, um, if you have a Bible... Uh, Luke twenty two. We're going to be at verses forty one to forty four. It should come up behind me um, on the screen. But Jesus, if you like, perfectly embodied this. At this point, Jesus is—it's leading up to Jesus' crucifixion, where he was where he was tried on trumped up charges, um, and essentially an innocent man led to the cross to die for our sake. And this is um, the night before his, or the night of his betrayal. Um, He takes some of his. Uh, closest friends, um, the disciples, and he takes them away um, with him and he asks them to just stay and pray with him. Um, And then it says in verse 41, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, talking of the crucifixion that was to come. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. You see, Jesus knew what was going to happen. He knew he could see it. Uh, I don't know what your anxieties look like, but mine kind of pale into insignificance compared to something like this. When you think that Jesus was about to walk into a rigged trial knowing that the outcome would lead to his death, his death on a cross, which was brutal, savage. And yet he walked into it and he prays and he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Take it from me. He would have been anxious. He would have been probably not worried in the sense that we think, but it says that he was in agony and his sweat was as drops of blood. That that speaks of... Real agonizing in prayer. Real laboring and persevering um, in prayer and pushing through. And nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. You see, Jesus perfectly models for us faith and prayer. Perfectly models it for us. He's making his request. He's saying, Father, please, if, if there's any other way, do it. If there's any other way, take it from me. But ultimately, not my will but your will be done. The interesting thing is even in this response, even in this situation, there isn't necessarily the response that we might expect when we come in prayer. Often we come thinking that, 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 that God will just answer in an instant. And God does often answer. He always answers. But it might not be in the way or how we might expect it to. And just like George Muller's friends where he was praying for his entire life, it might be that there's things we're praying for for our entire life, and we're in faith, we're expectant, we're believing that God will intervene and step in. Um, but you know what? sometimes it doesn't happen, or it doesn't look like how we think it should. But what did Jesus do? Well, later on in a few verses, uh, actually this isn't on the screen, but verse 45, when he rose from prayer, he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Jesus got up and Jesus went back and Jesus didn't defer. Jesus didn't run away. He didn't walk away. Actually, in that instant, there was peace, there was security, there was resolve that came, there was strength that came for Jesus to stand up and go back and face his betrayer, to face his accusers. And actually, he modeled it perfectly for us. This peace that, 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 that is submitting to God's will. This, this peace that just comes, as he just says, do you know, it says um, in Isaiah 53 that like a, a, a lamb or like a sheep before its shearers is silent. Jesus stood there and said nothing. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. And there was such peace and such resolve and such strength. And it came from this point, this point of prayer where he's agonizing, where his sweat is like drops of blood. And yet he stands up and he comes back. He says, no, this is, what, this is God's will. This is what I'm called to. This is what I'm going to push to and follow through on. This, hum, this humility to submit to God, even in the midst of difficult, trying, hard times. And it says that in, uh, in that passage that uh, I just quoted, in Isaiah 53, verse 10, uh, it says that the will of the Lord was to crush him. So even in that instant, we see this is Isaiah, a man that prophesied about Jesus' death hundreds of years before. He says the will of the Lord was to crush him. Speaking of Jesus' death on the cross, it was God's will for Jesus to go to the cross. And so we see, we see it's God's will that Jesus perfectly follows through on. And you see, why is it that Jesus then had to die? Why is it that that was God's will? It seems pretty savage. It seems pretty brutal. Why was that God's will? Well, Scripture's clear that um, sin, if you like, is that barrier. It separates us between man and God. It, it, it separates us from God. It broken, it's fractured that relationship. Um, and in the uh, temple, Matt spoke about it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Matt Fox, when he was preaching, spoke about this temple that would have... the curtain that would have hung in the temple and that would have separated, um, if you like, the holy place from what they called the holy of holies. That was this curtain that hung as a visible uh, and an actual divide between where the presence of God was and where the people would be um, in worship. And it talks about this curtain that separated them and that represented the sin. The people couldn't come into the presence of God. They couldn't know God, on a personal, on a relatable level in the same way that you and I can. And it says that when Jesus died, that curtain in the temple was ripped in two from top to bottom. It was torn in two so that those that put their faith and their trust in Jesus and his death on the cross can come into his presence, can come into relationship with him um, and that we can know God. And so, when we come in prayer, we're entering into that holy place. We're entering into what the Bible calls the holy of holies. It says in um, Hebrews, Hebrews 10. Let me just read it quickly. If I can find it. It says in Hebrews 10, verse 19, Therefore, brothers since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh so you can see his death on the cross was about ripping that curtain in two it was about tearing down that dividing wall that stood between us and god and giving us access to come to him so now when we pray we're not just we're not just Making requests to thin air. actually, we come into the presence of the king. We come boldly and confidently, with full assurance of faith, knowing that Jesus has dealt with that sin, knowing that Jesus has, has dealt with our wrong, our rebellion, our, our, our acts that separated us between, um, that separated us from God, that Jesus has dealt with that. And so we come boldly, confidently, with full assurance into his presence. The first step then, if you're not a believer here, the first step has got to be putting your faith and trust in Jesus. It has to be recognizing that that sin that has separated you from God, that's got to be dealt with. It says that the wages of sin are death. And that's why Jesus had to die. You see, the wages of sin are death and God made a way so that Jesus would be that perfect sacrifice and take, if you like, that death, the wages of our sin, that Jesus would um, have that upon him so that we could make that transaction, so that we could um, not live under sin, but could actually live free in Christ. The freedom that we spoke about earlier, the freedom that we sang about, freedom in eternity, that now we are his forever. That assurance, that comfort, um, that peace that has been brought to us. And so if you're not a believer, I just entreat you, please. This, this is the time. This is the moment. This is, this is the opportunity to put your faith in Jesus. Maybe for the first time. Um, and just say, do you know what? I'm, I'm, yeah. Um, I believe that Jesus' death on the cross was sufficient to deal with my sin. And I'm trusting in that. We're not trying to earn our salvation, but we're trusting um, in what he accomplished for us on the cross. And so the others of us, what are some of those barriers, some of those anxieties, some of those worries um, that perhaps we're, we're, we're prone to? What are those things that just set off our heart? Um, perhaps they're circumstances that happen that just make your heart start to beat a little bit faster. Um, or perhaps there's certain things of relationships or people that you just struggle um, to love. You struggle to show grace to them. Perhaps it's a boss. Perhaps it's a work situation. Perhaps it's even family. But what are those things that cause us to lose our peace? That cause that anxiety, that worry, um, that fear to rise up? Because you see, it can be, it, it can be a whole host of things. Sin. Um, can be one of those things. Sin can be one of those anxieties that just, if you like, prevents us from coming before God and making our requests to him. And we're, we're nervous. We're, we're anxious. And sometimes we've just got to deal with that and come before God in full assurance of faith, as we read in Hebrews. Maybe it's even Disappointment. Perhaps there's even, just as I've been talking and, and you start to think, actually, I've been praying for certain things and they haven't come to pass. Or I've been praying for God to break in and he hasn't yet. And so you just started to just kind of switch off in your heart. You just kind of checked out. And the disappointment that has crept in um, as you're seeking God is just kind of, it's just you've just lost motivation for it. Um, and so I'm going to invite the band back up. Um, if you want to jump to your feet, I'm going to pray for us. And maybe just while uh, you stand, maybe there's, maybe you know there's the, the certain anxieties, the certain fears, there's certain things that, that God's just been pinpointing in your heart, maybe even during this sermon or even the last few days or weeks. Um, just in your heart, just begin to turn that over to God. Just, just between you and the Lord, just close your eyes where you are um, and just begin to give that over to him and just say, Lord, I'm, I'm going to make a decision as Paul instructed us, not to be anxious, not to be fearful, not to be intimidated, not to be worried about those things, but I'm going to come and ask you, make a request, Lord, that you will break in, that you will act, that you will persevere. And I believe that as you do that, God's peace will just be made known to you. And even if the answer doesn't look like what you expect it to look like, the peace of God will be will be made known to you. That peace that transcends understanding. So just in your heart, let's do that. I feel like there might be um, some people um, and you know those things where you where you lose peace, you know those things of anxiety, um, and 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 whilst you don't necessarily need to, I feel like God would God would want you to God would want you to make a statement, if you like, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna ask if 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 there's anybody that particularly feels that they want to make that conscious decision that you're saying, do you know what? I'm not going to give in to this anxiety. I'm not going to let this fear dominate me. I'm not going to let this worry um, take over. I'm going to bring it to the Lord. Um, I just want you just to come um, and just stand in the middle here um, in this space at the front. For those of you that responded, in John 14 it says, Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid.. Lord, we pray for your peace to come. Lord, we pray that in the midst of um, pressures, in the midst of anxieties, in the midst of um, the cares of this world as the Bible calls it elsewhere, Lord, we just pray for peace to come. Lord, your peace to reign. Amen.